0: This episode of The Happiness Question is brought to you by Jay Schiffman. Jay Schiffman is a public speaker, coach, and host of the Choose Your Struggle podcast. He interviews people with lived experiences on the topics of mental health, substance misuse, and recovery, and drug use and policy to help end stigma and normalize difficult conversations through empathy and vulnerability. Each year, over 125,000 Americans die from overdose and suicide combined. I'm not even talking about the other causes of death related to substance misuse and mental health. Just those two. Those are our friends, our neighbors, our family members. They go to our churches, eat next to us at our favorite restaurants. They talk to us through our favorite podcasts. And these deaths are completely preventable. There are massive system changes that need to happen. But until we can have an honest conversation about these topics... These lives will continue to be lost. That's why Jay produces the Choose Your Struggle podcast. That's why he tells his story. As a guy in long-term recovery who survived two suicide attempts and an overdose, he recognizes his privilege. He's been given a second chance in a country and a world where most people don't even get their first. For him not to use it for something truly meaningful would be a waste of his second chance. That's why he gives up every day, to work to end the stigma and ensure that those who need help get the help they deserve, because we're in this together. Check out his podcast, Choose Your Struggle, by listening wherever you find podcasts. Hello and welcome to the all new season of The Happiness Question. We start off our third season with the amazing Barbara Brandline, a children's book author and the mother of four special needs children. We focus on a brand new book that came out just last year called Olive that's based on the experiences of her special needs children. Though Olive is a work of fiction, her story is real and sheds light on mitochondrial disease through a perspective not often found in today's literature. This episode of The Happiness Question shares the story of Barbara's life and how her book Olive came to be. is free, happiness is real, you can live a happy life, trust me it is real, happiness like medicine, trust me it can heal, so hello friend, listen up, as I tell you this, you can be happier, happier, you can be happier, happier, you can know happiness, Happier, you can be happier. Sadness comes, but there is something greater. The choice is yours can choose to rise or stay down, to so make a choice, to be happy every day, no matter what may come or go, you can be happier, happier, you can be happier, happier, you can know happiness, happier. you can be happier. I was looking at your website and I was seeing your book and oh my gosh, it looks incredible. I want to read it so bad. Oh my <laughs> gosh. The, the little part that I've seen just like the illustrations and everything are amazing. So why did you decide like to write your story as fiction instead of autobiography? Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> autobiographical. Yeah. Basically because every time that I tried to write our actual story, even I don't believe it. It was just too much. Like people have been telling me for years that you ought to, you know, you ought to write a book. And I used to think that that meant that they, that they saw some potential in me, right? Like as a storyteller, as a writer. And I finally figured out that it meant we're a little overwhelmed by your story. And I would like to exit this conversation. So Hey, you should write a book. Right. And, but every time that I tried, it's like, there's just too many details, too much. And I felt honestly, like I was too young to write it as a nonfiction like hey do what we have done but with fiction I felt that I was able to communicate portions of our story that I think are relevant to a wide variety of people and I wrote the book from the perspective of a nonverbal uh, younger child she's five years old in the book uh, because I wanted the reader to only know what she knows so you don't know what disease she has because she doesn't know what disease she has. And there's a freedom in that because I feel like you can write the experience. You can write her, her physical experience with the world and what things look like to her without having, without being boxed into our preconceived notions of, of a disease. You could read this as someone with an autistic child and say, oh my goodness, Olive could be my child. Or you could be coming from cystic fibrosis or for my own kids it's mitochondrial disease and it all sort of applies there are some commonalities in that experience
0: so what is the story based off of is this off of a real person
1: this is off of a real person yes olive is the fictionalized version of my oldest daughter ava who's now 13 but this was uh, everything that happened in the book in some way shape or form happened to her in real life it was not all at the same age not all in the same context but it is definitely based off of her so do they recognize the, the characters in the books then they do probably more so than even as accurate so they are i've tried to tell them like it's fiction this is not just and they're like yeah 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 mom that's that's great this is definitely us yeah no they're they're very convinced and they keep asking like does she get a dog does she get a dog down the road are there ponies in the next so, we'll see
0: <laughs> so you have four special needs children
1: i do yeah they all uh live with a mitochondrial disease. Um, so in varying degrees of symptoms, yes, they do all kind of fight
0: with the same oh, thing. How has your life been affected by having four special needs children with the same disease?
1: It's a, it's a good roller coaster. <laughs> and I, emphasis on the good, it's because of the nature. I, are, you, are you familiar at all with mitochondrial disease? Um,
0: I am it's not.
1: Kind of an obscure one, okay. easiest to start. It's kind of an obscure disease. It's pretty rare, but it's a disease of energy production. So the part of your cell that turns food into energy is your mitochondria, right? And so if that part is not working, then pretty much anything about you as a person that requires energy is at risk. So development and speech, your organs, your immunity, your breathing, pick a system and it can be affected by this. So for my kids, they they really do each deal with different things, but there are common threads. Energy is a common thread in our life. So obviously, I don't. I guess I don't really know what normal parenting <laughs> would have been like. I, we we never had that. But for us, everything is about managing calories and sleep and energy. So we we probably think a little different than quote unquote normal families <laughs> because we have a couple of tube feeds to to maintain the calories. We. They need more sleep than other kids, and so our, our schedules are a little different, and we enjoy what we have. I think, I think that is probably one of the main things that raising special needs kids can do, is to make you realize what you have is not permanent, what you have is not guaranteed, so you get to enjoy today, because you have right now. So what kind of effect has it had on your marriage? Definitely. So really early on, when my oldest daughter was diagnosed, she was about nine months old. And back then, I I worked as a jazz musician. And there was a band that I played with a lot that was led by an older gentleman who played saxophone. And he actually came over to the house right after she was diagnosed and had what was probably, uh, in retrospect, one of the more appalling conversations I think I've ever had in my life. But he was really kind. He was a pastor. And he came and was telling me a story of a couple in his church that had lost a child. I don't remember the circumstances of how the child died, but he was describing to me what it had done to their marriage because each of them felt that the other one was not grieving as much as they were because they were grieving differently. It was, it ended up driving their marriage apart and they ended up divorced, which I remember at the time thinking, really, now? You wanna come tell me this story now? Like this huge journey with, you know, a sick child but he was right. We grieve differently. And even if at this point in our lives, I can look at it and say, we have a good life. I'm grateful for our life. At the beginning, I think anytime that you receive a diagnosis like that, and you're facing that you are, your life is not going to be what you thought it was going to be. There is a season of grief, just grieving what you lost. Uh, even if, if what you lost is only the picture in your head. And my husband and I grieved Differently. But having that very kind person come and point this out to me early on, I started to recognize it. My husband needed people. He needed to be surrounded by people that could encourage him. And had it been left up to me, I don't know that I would have opened my door again for years. I just, I pulled away. But when we could look at it and say we are both feeling the same thing and we're processing it differently, it caused us to draw close together. And I would say that it has been very good for our marriage to have special needs kids. That's
0: great. When you first found out your children had special needs, what was your initial reaction?
1: Shock, panic. When she was first diagnosed, she was not expected to live very long and we had just found out we were pregnant. And it was it was a very dark year, I would say. There was a lot to figure out and how to take care of her. We spent a lot of time in and out of hospitals. And it just didn't quite seem possible to look at this kid that I, that I would have said was just perfect. She just looked perfect to me and to realize that she was going to have a thing that she fought with for the rest of her life. It was a real season of grief.
0: So what changed?
1: I think a combination of things. I think some of it probably came down to learning more. We did learn over time, better ways to take care of her that made her life better. And I, I mean, I'm, She's 13 now and she can ride a bike and she can do school and she can all these things that I just, I couldn't imagine at the time. So some of it really is just time to wait and see what happens. But I think it's also a, a shifting in perspective to, like we were talking about before, to, to look at each day as a, a rather amazing gift instead of looking ahead to how are we going to do that, to look right here and say, well, I can do this. I can do this right in front of me right here. Over time, I think that we started to realize that we're well-suited for this. We're well-suited for early bedtimes and we're people that, that can do that with a, a great deal of happiness. So probably time is the short answer. That's
0: great. How do you do schooling? Because I know that there's some families that decide to do homeschool. Some will go with public. What was that kind of decision like for you?
1: Yeah. I, uh, I did not realize actually how much pressure there is on parents of special needs kids on, on the schooling front. We ended up homeschooling in large part and still do in large part because my kids get sick easily and classrooms are just tricky it's just a tricky thing in the best of seasons but but I had the benefit of amazing cheerleaders in my life I had at a at a season of life that i was just trying to keep my head above water and, and stay awake on occasion. I had people around me that said, oh, no, there's a way to homeschool this. We can figure out a way around. How do you teach someone to read that can't talk? How do you know if they're learning anything if they can't say it to you? I had very clever people around me. My family was huge at this time. So I think I think back and I think if I had not had that, if I had not had people next to me saying, not only is it doable, we can do it great, that support I probably would have had to do something like a public school just because I, I don't think I had the confidence on my own at that time. I feel very blessed to have had those people there to kind of think things through with me. And they still are. <laughs> I still depend on a lot of outside ideas to figure out our homeschooling. But it's been good for us, the flexibility. The, to be able to, to look at my kids and say, wow, we are having a tired day. So math is going to involve snacks, right? <laughs> <laughs> or rest when we need it. It's, it's very free Not time. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> uh, so because you're doing homeschooling, what resources did you use? What can you suggest to other parents who are considering doing the same thing?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Well, there are a few depending on depending on what the special need is that you are dealing with. Initially, we actually got a lot of help from our birth to three program, which was through the public school. We had some great ladies. They actually show up in the book in a fictional way who were encouraging to us at the beginning in figuring out what our options were and what was available to us. There's also been, although we don't strictly classical school, that was the wrong way to say it. Classical education is not the entirety of what we do. I have learned a lot from some brilliant classical education minds. There's a website, called Simply Convivial that um, is actually huge, just in that it's, it was encouraging me to make the curriculum work for us instead of the other way around. I think sometimes there's pressure if you're schooling your kids, like, okay, this is the curriculum, you do the curriculum, right? And she is a big proponent of not, the curriculum needs to work for you, it needs to go the other way around. Um, so she was very helpful. And, and also I, I started talking to people at our local bookstores people that carried curriculum, I asked people that had done it and found out what they liked and what they didn't. And although that, I think, again, we were very blessed to have a bookstore that was owned by a homeschooling mom. So she actually did carry some curriculum. I think there are places like that all over the place. Talking to people that have done it before you is huge.
0: What are some of the myths about special needs parenting that you've been able to disprove through your own adventure?
1: That you have to end up divorced. You don't have to end up divorced. That's a big one. We got told multiple times towards the beginning of our journey that with our disease in particular, 95% of the families they saw ended up divorced. It doesn't have to happen that way, but you have to be purposeful about taking care of your marriage when you have a special needs or multiple special needs children to take care of. It's It's demanding on your energy. But you can be purposeful about it. One of the things that we have done over the years to kind of help keep that intact, keep our perspectives where they needed to be, is because our kids, I go to bed earlier than most kids, we actually will feed them dinner and I I read to them while they eat. And then my husband and I eat dinner together every night after they go to bed. And so it's like date night every night on our couch. (laughs) And I think that that's actually been a big thing for us to be able to maintain keeping that time together when, when kids can be very demanding. I think the other big myth that I didn't realize was a myth it goes back to education. It's being told that, well, let me preface by saying there are some fantastic educators in the public school system, particularly for special needs. So this is absolutely not a knock for anyone working in a public school. But you as the parent can do this. And I think that's something that very often there there is a feeling because you're getting from doctors, from nurses, from systems that, that the best thing for your kid would be to be in fill in the blank, this classroom, this therapy. And sometimes it is, sometimes that is the best thing. And you should do that with no guilt, but sometimes it's not. And I think very often the parents of special needs kids are not told enough that they can do this. That even if they aren't going to therapy every single day, right? You do know what's best for your kid and you are capable of taking care of them. I think that's something that I figured out slowly. How did you learn
0: patience? I can tell you're a very patient, very loving person, just from talking, just from looking at you. How did you develop that?
1: The funny thing about patience, right, is the only way that you get it is by having it tracked. <laughs> like, uh, if you're going to pray for patience, then you can anticipate having some really patient-trying things happening to you, right? Because it's uh, the only way it builds.
0: That's why we don't pray
1: for we patience. Just, I'm just saying, like, that's a dangerous prayer of all the things. It's, it's, yeah. It turns out it's one of those things, it's like a muscle that's, that is built only by using it, right? So, yeah, a million decisions to not lose your temper, I think is, is probably where it's starts.
0: How has special needs parenting changed you as a person?
1: Probably in every single way. I think that before I had kids, I probably would have been more prone towards being a people pleaser of sorts. And when you have special needs kids, uh, you can't because you're not just a parent anymore. You don't just get to do the the mom thing and go to playgroups and buy cute onesies. Now you're an advocate and there's no room for advocates to be people pleasers. You have to find your team of people, your doctors, your physical therapist or whatever it's going to be for you, you find your team and it's the most ferocious form of mama bear that you'll ever see is you don't just get to be mom. You get to be an advocate and that pretty much beat to death. The people pleaser in me.
0: (laughs) Sounds like you got some really good developing traits then.
1: (laughs) Hopefully we'll see. Hopefully we'll talk to you again in 10 years. (laughs) What
0: what encouragement could you give somebody that's, Starting out as a parent maybe something that you didn't have that you wish you could have told yourself.
1: That it doesn't have to be normal to be good. It can be an ever-changing normal. You can have the picture in your head get completely obliterated as to what you thought your life was going to be. And you can look up and find that it's still good. That the things that would have been beautiful if your child was healthy and you got to go about in normal ways. Those things are still beautiful. If your child doesn't eat by mouth, and if you haven't slept in eight years, it can still be beautiful.
0: I love that. It doesn't have to be normal to be good.
1: I think it's something a lot of us probably are learning slowly during this, this virus, right? We have a lot of abnormal living right now, and there's still, life is still good to be living.
0: I argue it's almost better, honestly. Uh, I've seen so much positive change from it all. So many people trying to work together instead of working apart. Of course, there's still a lot of terrible things going on, but it's almost background noise.
1: Yeah. No, that's true. There's... People are paying attention to different things now. That's true.
0: Has COVID-19 affected your family at all? Like, has it affected anything with your kids as they've tried to understand it or anything? Is it just some giant new thing? You're like, here you go.
1: Right. What's funny about this virus, if I'm allowed to say there's something funny about this virus, (laughs) it's that kids with mitochondrial disease, probably kids with a lot of different kinds of special needs, they live like this all the time. This virus doesn't really feel special to us because all viruses are dangerous like this if you have a compromised immune system. We had years that we had to live pretty isolated that we wore masks to the grocery store. Like we were doing it back before it was cool. (laughs) And I think that you'll find that there are a lot of families that live live like that. That it's a constant, you're constantly gauging risk. And I think that the thing that the world could stand to learn from a lot of special needs families is that there are risks that are worth taking. It's hard to watch the uh, fear. It's hard to watch people be afraid. I understand it. I've definitely been there. But thankfully, it's something that over time we became less afraid and life got better. And that is what I would hope for our communities right now, to be less afraid.
0: How have you grown from your fear? How have you gone past it? How are you not the most afraid person for your children ever?
1: I think because I know God and because I have seen time and time again that I can make the best plans. I can sanitize the world I can make sure that I check people's temperatures at the door I mean these are real things that we have done in the past way before COVID but ultimately our lives are not in our control I our lives are in his control and knowing that that is how I got past my fear was to know him so just following
0: God's will then just letting it happen just being okay with it
1: to, I think it sounds trite if I say it that way, but no, I think I think it's a very active process. I think it's a very active process to be. We are people that spend a lot of time reading the Bible, and we are people that found the importance of the local church. And I think the longer that I know God, the longer that I know Jesus Christ, the the more peace I have, because I can see, I can see our need for Him, and that has probably, I mean, that is, that is the defining thing about raising special needs kids or any kids for me is to realize that you cannot control this. You can't, I mean, right, we wouldn't have picked to have kids go through such complications if I was writing the story, right, if this was my script, but his script is better. And uh, I think it, it changes how we parent and it changes how we think.
0: If you had the opportunity to go back and make your kids, quote, normal without the disease, would you have? Or would you have kept everything as it was?
1: I have not actually ever thought about that. I don't think I would change it, which is hard for me to say because they've, they've been through a lot of pain. But I like who they are, I like who they have grown to be. I like watching when the world went crazy and people were afraid, they were okay. I feel like they knew what to do and and i don't know for a fact if it would have been the same if they had grown up healthy and had it a little easier than they've had so i I can't say that i would change it
0: it's wonderful
1: (laughs) have you been on many other shows Uh, a handful i've been on a few i'm learning a lot i'm i I find it actually incredibly fun the the book just came out on june 1st and so since then i've just had a handful of interviews and uh, it's all pretty new to me so it's only been a few days Essentially. Yeah, like, uh, What are we on now? Wow. Yeah, a couple of weeks. Yep. It's pretty new. So
0: I guess I need to ask the question that I've been supposed to ask for all this time. It's how do you find happiness?
1: Yeah. I was fascinated by the premise of your podcast, especially right now, the happiness question. I guess what I would say is that happiness is fleeting, but joy can stay. And so how do we find joy for myself? A lot of gratitude, Gratitude for what you've been given. Gratitude for the difficulty. Gratitude for even if it really is an exercise in finding the smallest thing. Like that I like how bare toes feel on carpet. It seems pretty small. It's a beginning though, right? It's a beginning in training yourself to look for things to be grateful for. And I have found that um, that's been pretty big in raising special needs kids.
0: How do you start being grateful?
1: Myself, I started with a list which sounds kind of cheesy, I guess. But I started with a notebook that I left out on the counter. And the first, I don't know, 150 or more, they really were all small things. Like, I like how bubbles look when I'm washing dishes. I like how I I felt like it's easy maybe to say, yes, I'm thankful for my family. And that's true. But to, to shift my perspective on whether or not I was feeling discontent or frustrated with the reality of my life started in very small things because when you can build a habit of seeing and being grateful for small things then it starts to come naturally and then you start to see it everywhere and the world starts to look differently and there's something about writing it down for me i now have a stack of gratitude journals over the years and my daughters have started their own which is about the coolest thing i've ever seen is to see what they're thankful for. If you can be thankful for the things that feel good, then you can start to be thankful for the things that don't. And i think that that's been key to happiness.
0: So how have you been able to communicate with your children since you can't do it vocally? How do you know?
1: Well, i can yeah, i can now. They so they are able to speak now. One of them has some some impediments, but we did in the early years before the the speaking came along, we learned American Sign Language. I wish I could say that we learned it fluently. That would not be accurate, but we did learn enough that it it helped. It helped us to understand what was going on in their minds.
0: Has their perspective changed you at all?
1: Yes. I would say yes. I wish I could pinpoint a, uh, a why, like... <laughs> this is the thing that really changed to but really, they are happy kids. They don't spend time complaining over the fact that they're hooked up to pumps at night to be fed or, or that they have to have time limits on how long they can play outside when it's hot, when their bodies get too tired. They just, they go on to the next thing. What's the next thing? And if the next thing is going to be sitting still and reading a book, then they're pretty excited about that. I am, their, their outlook is infectious in the best way they're pretty happy kids
0: how how do i have you figured out how to get to that perspective because that would be amazing
1: i think some of it i've, I've wondered about this because I've, I've watched obviously watched them for so long but i think one of the things that we used to look at as a symptom that i now think is, is quite an asset to their thinking is that for a long time they had no sense of time they didn't have a sense of how long something was taking, or I could say, we're going to go to grandma's house next week, and that would mean nothing, (laughs) and as they've gotten older, that's changed, but that mindset has sort of stayed the same, and I think it keeps them, it keeps them from, it helps them to stay very in the moment, that this is what we're doing right now, and so then every great thing that happens, they're just really excited about, and for a long time, that's how they lived. and now that they've obviously grown up some, and they've developed that sense of time, I feel like they have um, been able to keep a lot of that excitement about things, being excited about small things, like it's all like it's all new. So maybe we pay too much attention to time, to what we think we should be doing in 10 years, or what we were supposed to have gotten done this morning. Maybe we just look too much at time.
0: I 100% agree with you, and I've never heard this perspective from anyone I've interviewed.
1: I'm glad it makes sense. It's always nice. <laughs>
0: Like, I feel like that was one of the missing pieces that we weren't getting. We were kind of beating around the bush for a really long time. But I do think we just take too much time out of our own lives to look back behind us mm-hmm. and look what other people have, look too much into the future, expect too much of ourselves or don't expect enough of ourselves when we should just be living in the now being grateful for what we have, as you said.
1: Yeah, I I agree with you. It's, it's gotta be one of the hardest things for us, right? We're people that are always looking forward or backwards or to the side. It's very hard for us to just stay still. Such an
0: easy concept, <laughs> but it's so hard to actually put in emotion.
1: I would agree with you.
0: So when you're not taking care of your children, which you should like, what, what do you do for your fun? What do you, what have you been doing to help keep yourself happy and excited for the next
1: day? I like to cook. I like to bake, I like to make things in the kitchen. That is, uh, people used to ask during some of the darkest days uh, where we were in and out of the hospital all the time. I had just lovely people that would offer to bring us meals. And I finally figured out like, what I really need you to do is bring me ingredients. (laughs) Bring me a surprise bag of random ingredients because it just, it occupies a part of my brain that I really enjoy using. It's the same part that liked playing music. It's the same part that likes writing. It's a feeling of creativity. And I, I love to create things in the kitchen.
0: That's really cool. How do you get out of depression? Like you yourself, how have you been able to get out of those depression moments that you have and back into happiness? Like what pulls you out of it? Cause I've not been asking people this enough and you can take your time on any of these.
1: Well, I think that it, I would say it depends. I think it depends on whether or not what you're dealing with is a, what we might call a clinical depression. I think with each of my two oldest, I had trouble with depression after they were born and medication really was the answer. (laughs) I think that there, I think we have to kind of distinguish between whether or not we are talking about a, a chemical depression, in which case I really think that a medical professional is the way to go. Right. Or whether we're talking about the sort of lows that we can hit when we're living isolated, or the the sort of discouragement that we can feel in the day to day when when there are there are struggles, when it's difficult caretaking, when you haven't slept in a long time, when you I for myself the timing of when we do this has been different all the time. Sometimes it's once a year, sometimes it's once a month. But I am a mom that needs a reset. Sometimes I need to have a day away or a uh, sometimes a weekend away, maybe it's to go to a hotel and just sleep. I think that the burnout that can happen in raising a special needs kid, but I think this is probably true in a lot of areas of different walks of life, right? It's, it can be so cumulative that I know for myself, I would just lose perspective. After a long enough time, you can push and push and push and push, but you will reach a point where something snaps. And so, for myself, it, over time, I learned that they will be okay if you leave them with grandma for a day. They will be okay, and I think that that was hard for me at the beginning. That you spend so much time trying to keep this amazing little person alive that to step away is really difficult. When I finally learned that it is okay to step away, even just for an afternoon, right, to go read a book somewhere, to go to do something that does not involve caretaking. I think, was a very big thing in my life. And like anything else, it's a habit. If you can get into the habit of resetting, of taking routine steps back, then it gets easier.
0: Great. Now, unfortunately, I think we'll have to go, but before we do, where can we find you? Where can we find more of you? Where can we get your book? Just everywhere that we can possibly think of that we can get in touch here.
1: Okay. Well, you can get all the links to everything on my website. It's www.barbarabrandline.com. I'll spell it for you because it's just a terrible name to sound out. It's B-A-R-B-A-R-A-B-R-A-E-N-D-L-E-I-N. That'll take you to Goodreads and Amazon, which is where you can get my book. Uh, You can get my book at any of your favorite local bookstores. Anybody can order it. I'm on Instagram just with my name, at Barbara Brandline.
0: That's great. Well, Barbara, I hope that you have a wonderful day. Thank you for being on the show today.
1: Thanks for having me on. I had a good time.
0: Maybe we'll have you on again sometime.
1: Anytime. I would enjoy it. Thank you
0: we hope you enjoyed this episode of the happiness question if you did please consider reviewing and subscribing to our show on apple podcasts stitcher spotify or wherever you listen the happiness question is hosted researched written and recorded by me camden boyd edited by camden boyd and austin clark our theme song happier was both written and recorded by la yi especially for the happiness question Special thanks to today's guest, Barbara Brandline, for joining us for this episode. Find more of her and buy her book at barbarabrandline.com. You can find more of us at thehappinessquestion.com and can get in touch with us at contact at We hope you have a fantastic day. Bye.